0: You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. In this video, I'd like to talk to you about the divine will. And I'd like to address a number of questions about the divine will. First, does God, the uncaused cause, have a will? In earlier videos, I talked about Aquinas's five ways. And one of those five ways concludes to the idea that there has to be an uncaused cause. But one of the classic objections to Aquinas is to say, well, look, why in the world should we think that the uncaused cause is the same as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has a will. This God can choose to do things. And so if we think of God as the uncaused cause, would this, Uncaused cause also have a will. Secondly, I want to look at the question of how does God will? Aquinas thinks that there are significant differences between human will and the divine will. And so we'll look at his understanding of how God wills. Thirdly, we'll also consider the question what does God will? And then finally, we'll consider whether Aquinas contradicts himself about the will of God. So, it's clear that the God of Moses, the God of the Bible, has a will. Think about many stories where God wills to, say, part the Red Sea, or God wills to send an angel to the Virgin Mary. So, all throughout the Bible, the God of the Bible is willing to do various things. So, does the first cause have a will? Aquinas' answer to this question is yes, the first cause has to have a will. Why does he think that God has a will? He thinks this not simply as a matter of faith, but also as a matter of reason. He notes that an intellect does not cause save through a will. In other words, if all you did was think about something and simply think, well, that wouldn't cause anything in the external world. If all I did was just think, I wouldn't do anything in terms of the external world. And so an intellect doesn't cause save through a will. An intellect, you might say, alone doesn't cause unless a will is involved. But Aquinas, as you know, thinks that the divine intellect does cause things. Not only is it true that God has understanding, but he thinks, of course, that God is the first cause. So the divine intellect causes things. But if an intellect only causes things through a will and the divine intellect causes things, well, then it follows that the divine intellect has a will. Aquinas provides another reason as well. He says that intellectual beings, uh, in intellectual beings, moving is done through the will. So think about, say, an artist. The artist first thinks about, you know, how to paint the portrait. And then the artist moves beyond just thinking about it, but moves to move the paint onto the canvas. And this movement is caused by the will. But, We know that Aquinas thinks that God does move things. Recall that Aquinas thinks that God is the unmoved mover. So if God is a mover, he's moving things. But if intellectual beings move things through a will, and God really is the unmoved mover who moves things, well, then God has to have a will. He provides a third reason, too. He says that the understood good is the proper object of the will. The understood good is, as such, willed. So when you think about something, you could think about it merely as something that exists. You know, two plus two is four or something. But if you understand it as good, well, the understood good is, as such, willed. But God is one who grasps the good by his intellect, and so God is, as such, endowed also with a will. We saw before how God understands good and evil, so he grasps the good by his intellect, but understanding the good is just what the will is all about. So God grasps the good by his intellect, and God is therefore endowed with a will. Now, God's will is very different than our own will. Uh, I have a will, but my will is not my essence. So I can exist, for instance, when I'm sleeping and not be willing anything, and yet I still exist. I might even get into a coma, and so I still would exist in a coma, but I can't will anything. And likewise, when I was a little baby, I was unable to at least freely will anything. I just was a child acting on instinct, and yet I existed. Now, Aquinas thinks that God's will is different than ours. So God's will is his essence. God's will is his essence. In other words, God is his own will, just as God is his own understanding. So God's will and God's essence are one. It belongs to God to be endowed with a will insofar as he is intelligent, as we have just talked about. But God has understanding by his essence, as we talked about earlier, too. And therefore, God also has will in his very essence. So it's not as if there's God, God's essence, and then in addition to that, as something combined, there is also God's will. But rather, God's will is his essence, You couldn't have anything added to the divine essence. It couldn't be as if you had the divine essence and then you added the divine will to that as some accidental characteristic, because then, of course, God would be composed. There'd be what God is substantially. And then in addition to that, there'd be what God is accidentally. And that, of course, is something that we have. So substantially, Aquinas would say, I'm a human being. And then accidentally, I might will this or I might will that but God isn't composed. So whatever God is, is the divine essence. And therefore God's will is the divine essence. So let's talk a little bit about multitasking. How many things can you do at once? Well, I don't know about you, but I can only do a few things at once, but I can, you know, I could walk, And I could snap my fingers, and I could at the same time hum a song, and I could at the same time, with my other hand that's not snapping of fingers, say, um, I don't know, rub my stomach. And so I could do, I don't know, four, five, six, seven things at once. Now, Aquinas thinks that God is different than we are in part by his power. And so we can certainly multitask, we can do four or five, six things at once, but God's power is, at least for Aquinas, on an entirely different order of magnitude. And so here's what Aquinas thinks about how God wills things. God has just one eternal act of the will. And in that one eternal act of the will, God wills everything that God's wills. So in one eternal act of the will, Aquinas believes that God creates the material universe in time. In one eternal act of the will, God also creates human beings. In one eternal act of the will, God also invites Abraham to leave his homeland. In that one eternal act of the will, God also invites Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. In one eternal act of the will, God invites a virgin named Mary to be the mother of Jesus. So we can certainly multitask. We can do, you know, five, six things at once. But God, you might say, is the ultimate multitasker. God does everything God does in one eternal act of the will. Everything that to us is from the very beginning of time to the present, to the future. Everything is done by God in this one eternal act of the will. So God's will is very different than ours. God doesn't go from potentially willing something to actually willing something. That's what you and I do, right? We potentially eat a sandwich, and then maybe we choose to actually eat the sandwich. But God, Aquinas thinks, is different. God is not a being who's composed of act and potency. And so God doesn't go from potentially willing something to actually willing something. Now, what God does is in one eternal act of the will, will everything that God does. And part of that will is to will that different aspects of God's will unfold in time. So this is an inexact analogy, but you might think about God's one eternal act of the will as a little bit like the last will and testimony that a couple, a parent, parents might have for their kids. So I might make out my will. And in my will, I designate that when my, you know, child George turns 30, he gets this. And when my child George turns 40, he gets that. And maybe when my child George turns 50, he gets something else. Now of course I don't have lots and lots of money, but you can imagine a really rich person saying that, right? They don't want their kid at you know the age of twenty to receive the entire fortune because they worry, and rightly so, that the kid, if he gets all the money at twenty, is going to waste it and not know what to do with it. And so you could imagine a really rich person saying, "Look, the kid's going to get you know five percent of the inheritance at twenty, and then another ten uh, percent at thirty, and then only get the full inheritance." at the age of 40, when hopefully the kid is not going to just go to Vegas and blow it. So God, in one eternal act of the will, wills everything that to us is past, present, and future. And part of what God wills, at least according to Aquinas, is he wills our own individual existence and also wills that we love God in return. So Aquinas thinks that each one of us is willed by God. Obviously, our mother and father are involved. Aquinas thinks of them as the material cause, that our mother and father combine to provide the material cause, but he thinks that God provides the formal cause, the soul. And so each one of us is made not only by our mother, not only by our father, but also by God who gives us the immortal soul and also invites us to love God in return. Now, recall what we talked about earlier in terms of the divine intellect, that God knows everything God knows immediately and not habitually. So it's not as if God isn't thinking about us sometimes, and then maybe we pray and God starts thinking about us. Aquinas is going to say that God is always thinking about us and therefore is always available to relate to us. And so God's one eternal act of the will includes not only creating us, not only holding us in existence, but also inviting us to love God in return. Now, this raises a new problem, and the problem is the problem of petitionary prayer. So prayer comes in different forms, right? There's some kinds of prayer that are prayers of adoration, where someone might pray, you know, God, you're amazing. Other prayers, prayers of thanksgiving, thanking God for things. But one form of prayer is a prayer of petition. A classic example of this would be the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, the Our Father. And in the Our Father, of course, it says, give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer of petition, asking God to do something. But the problem is that if God really has only one eternal act of the will, how do prayers of petition make sense? If God's will is God's essence and God's essence is unchanging, well, how do we make sense of prayer's a petition? So Thomas's view of God would seem to make prayer's of petition pointless. We can't change God's mind, according to Aquinas. God is unchanging. We can't change God's will, because God's will is also unchanging. So why in the world should we ever make a prayer a petition? But Aquinas also thinks that Jesus is God, and Jesus taught his disciples to pray this way. But if both of those things are true, we have a kind of puzzle, a kind of problem. Either Aquinas is wrong about God being unchanging, or Aquinas is wrong about the value of prayers of petition, especially the prayers like the Our Father, which Jesus himself gave us. So we have a kind of puzzle, a kind of problem here for Aquinas, combining the idea of God's will being unchanging with the idea that prayers of petition make sense. So Aquinas himself prayed the prayer that Jesus gave us, the Our Father, every day. We know this from some biographies of Aquinas. And so it seems in his own practice and in his own life that Aquinas did think it made sense to say the Our Father. But Aquinas also thinks that God's will is unchanging, and God's mind is unchanging. God already knows everything. And so how do we put these two things together? That seems like an issue, a problem for Thomas. If Aquinas is right that God has an unchanging eternal will, then is Aquinas wrong that prayers of petition make sense? That's a good question. So what does God will? Well, Aquinas thinks that God wills his own being and goodness necessarily. God can't not will himself, just like God can't not know himself. It's impossible for God to get amnesia, and so Aquinas thinks, too, it's impossible for God not to will his own being and goodness. God, however, does not will other things in this necessary way. So why is that? Well, what Aquinas says is this. He says, the divine goodness is infinite. And so the participations in this goodness are potentially infinite. Now, if God necessarily willed all things that participate in his goodness, they would be. But there are some things that could have been that in fact are not. So for instance, I could have had a twin brother, but I don't. So that's something that could have existed but doesn't exist. And so if it doesn't exist, God must have not willed it. So God wills his own being a goodness necessarily, but things outside of God, things like human beings and creation are not things that God wills necessarily. So Aquinas draws this distinction between absolute necessity and necessity of supposition. So let me explain what he means. God wills himself with absolute necessity. Just as God must know himself, God must will himself. And God wills created things with a necessity of supposition. What that means is uh, if Socrates is running, his legs are in motion. That's an example of necessity of supposition or hypothetical necessity. If you're a human being, then you're a rational animal. That's another Necessity of supposition or hypothetical necessity. So, can the God, or the God of Abraham rather, wills miracles? Could the uncaused cause will miracles? I mean, if we look at the Bible, there are all kinds of miracle stories, like the parting of the Red Sea, or like the angel coming to the Virgin Mary, and the Virgin Mary becoming pregnant with Jesus. So, could the uncaused cause will a miracle? Well, that's a very good question. You might wonder whether that's true, whether that's not true. Of course, for Aquinas, one of the greatest miracles of all is the resurrection of Jesus. So could the uncaused cause will that? Is that possible? Is that not possible? Well, those are good questions. Now, there are definitely some problems remaining for Aquinas' view that I want to talk about. Um, One of the problems is this problem I just mentioned, a petitionary prayer. If it's true that God is unchanging, and if it's true that God's unchanging essence is the same thing as God's will, and this is exactly Aquinas' view, well, then it seems like prayers of petition don't really make much sense. Because if you are praying that God, say, heal your friend of the disease— well, either God from all eternity wills to heal your friend of the disease, or God doesn't. And if God from all eternity wills to heal your friend of the disease, then the prayer of petition is superfluous. God was already gonna do that. On the other hand, if God from all eternity does not will to heal your friend of the disease, well, then the prayer of petition is worthless, right? God is not gonna do it whether or not you pray. So either way, prayers of petition seem to make no sense whatsoever. And that might not be a problem for you, but it's a huge problem for Aquinas, because Aquinas thinks that prayers of petition not only are not ridiculous and nonsensical, he thinks that we ought to pray prayers of petition. We ought to say the Our Father, Moreover, Aquinas thinks that Jesus is God. And so if it were true that prayers of petition don't make any sense, well, that calls into question the divinity of Jesus, because if Jesus is really divine, well, why in the world would he give us a way of praying that ultimately doesn't make any sense whatsoever? So there's a kind of problem for Aquinas, reconciling the idea of the divine will with the idea of petitionary prayer. Another problem is this. If Aquinas is right that Jesus is God, and if Aquinas is right that the human will is unlike the divine will, does Jesus will like God or like a human being? So Aquinas thinks that God's will is radically different than the human will. So for us human beings, we will one thing after another. So I go from, for instance, potentially willing To eat breakfast to actually eating breakfast. I go from potentially willing to go to the grocery store to actually going to the grocery store. So the human will involves multiple acts and involves a transition from potentially willing to actually willing. By contrast, the divine will does not involve multiple acts. Remember, Aquinas thinks that God has one eternal divine will, And secondly, the divine will doesn't go from potentially willing something to actually willing something. There is one eternal act of the divine will that's always fully actualized. Okay, well, does Jesus will as God or does Jesus will as a human being? Well, if Jesus wills like a human being, well then how in the world can we say that Jesus is really God? If Jesus' wills goes from potentially willing something to actually willing something, if Jesus goes from uh, willing this thing to later in the day willing some other thing, he has multiple acts of the will, well, then it seems that Jesus really is not God. On the other hand, if we say Jesus as God has one eternal act of the will, well, then the humanity of Jesus seems to be taken away and undermined. That is to say, if Jesus just has one eternal act of the will, well, then Jesus' will is radically unlike any human will. It doesn't go from potentially willing things to actually willing things, and it doesn't go from willing one thing to another to another. There's not multiple acts of the will. So Aquinas' understanding of the divine will seems in grave conflict with his idea that Jesus is God. And so, how is Aquinas going to unravel this problem? How can he reconcile his own beliefs? Or maybe at the end of the day, is Thomas really inconsistent? He says one thing about the divine will, and then later goes back and contradicts himself when he talks about Jesus. And we've talked about this problem before in a different way. If Aquinas is right that Jesus is God then is Aquinas wrong that God does not have a body? So Aquinas thinks that God has no body, that God is not composed, that God doesn't have different parts. And so if we assume for the sake of argument that's correct, well, then how in the world can Aquinas say also that Jesus is God? Because if Jesus is really God, he shouldn't have a body. But Jesus clearly seems to have a body, at least if we take the Gospels as reliable Right? Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus grows, Jesus gets crucified and dies, and so it seems that Jesus does have a body. But if Jesus has a body, how in the world can Aquinas also say that Jesus is God? If Aquinas is right that Jesus is God, well then is Aquinas wrong that an eternal God has no potency to suffer and to die? So God, for Aquinas, is a being that is pure actuality, entirely active, no potency at all. Now, if that's right, then God can't die. Why? Well, because in order to die, you have to go from one state, that is being alive, to a different state, being dead. But if God has no potency, he can't change from being alive to being dead. But Aquinas clearly thinks that Jesus died. In fact. That's part of the creed that Aquinas confesses every Sunday. So if Jesus really died, well, then how in the world can we say that Jesus is also God? Because an eternal God can't suffer and die. So here's a new problem. Can God destroy himself? God has a will. And so could God will to destroy himself, to end his own life. Well, if God can destroy himself, then God is not eternal. Recall, an eternal being is a being that has no beginning and has no end. And Aquinas thinks that God is, in fact, an eternal being. That is to say, God is the uncaused cause. God doesn't come into existence. But God is also a being a pure actuality, not a being composed of act and potency. But if God is not composed, well, God, of course, can't be decomposed. God cannot be destroyed. God cannot die. God, in other words, is eternal. So if God can destroy himself, well, then God is not eternal. Well, that seems wrong because God is eternal, at least according to Aquinas. But on the other hand, if you say God cannot destroy himself, well, then it seems that God's will is not omnipotent. If God cannot destroy himself, there's something that God cannot do. But isn't God supposed to be able to do everything? Isn't God supposed to be all-powerful? So here's another kind of problem for Aquinas, a kind of puzzle, that if he says that God can destroy himself, well, then he seems to contradict his own view that God is eternal On the other hand, if he says that God cannot destroy himself, well, then it seems to contradict his idea that God's will is omnipotent, that God can do all things. So Aquinas seems to be in a kind of contradiction, an inner contradiction with his own views. We also have compounded the problem of evil. If it's true that God has a will, well, then God could will to do something about the problem of evil. And so what Aquinas has done so far is made the problem of evil much more difficult to solve. In other words, if Thomas had held that there were multiple gods, as in Greek mythology, well, then you can explain the existence of evil in part through, for instance, conflict among these multiple gods. You could say, well, Hera and Zeus are in a conflict And so this results in evil here below. But of course, we saw earlier that Aquinas thinks that there's only one God, so that's not going to work. You could also say, well, look, there's only one God, but God in himself is a combination of good and evil. God is like the force with a light side and a dark side, a good side and a bad side. And that's why there's evil in the world. The world reflects God. It's created by God. And so the world is... A reflection of the reality that God is like the force with partly good and partly evil. But we saw earlier how Aquinas thinks that God is not a combination of good and evil, but rather that God is pure goodness. If God is not composed, well, then God can't be composed of partly good and partly evil. God has to be a being of pure goodness with no evil whatsoever. Well, then you might say, well, maybe God doesn't know about evil But the problem with that is Aquinas thinks that God knows about everything. God is the first cause and God's mind is the same thing as God's being. And so God knows himself as first cause, but God couldn't know himself as a cause unless he knew what he caused, right? If I know myself as an author, well, I have to know what I write, If I know myself as an artist, I have to know the art that I create. So if God knows himself perfectly as the first cause, well, God has to know the things that are getting caused, and that would include everything in the created order. And you might get around the problem of evil by saying, well, God knows about evil, but he doesn't have a will, and so he can't do anything about evil. But that also is not going to work because Aquinas thinks that God has a will, That God not only is an intellect, if God were only a mind, well, if God just thought about things, well, that wouldn't cause anything. But God is the cause of things, Aquinas thinks. He's the uncaused cause. And so God's mind is not just God's mind, but God's mind is also God's will. So God does will things. And so if God wills things, well, then God could will to do something about this problem of evil. So Aquinas' views about God, in other words, have compounded and made more difficult to solve the problem of evil. So next time, what we're going to do is we're going to continue our discussion of Aquinas' views about God. I would encourage you, if you can, to read chapter 84 of Thomas Aquinas' Summa Contra Gentiles, and we will continue our discussion of God's will and these issues of faith and reason. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers.